Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at tmobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Hello, friends. Welcome to Unsiloed, the show that busts the echo chambers. If you dig hearing opposing perspectives about big issues from a point of mutual respect, if you like debate but love light, not heat, welcome home. So, Jesus, I came across one interesting story that has your name written all over it, but I saw it and... You know, a little part of me um, kind of, you know, we talked about this years ago, I think, when a lot of the uh, diversity pledges began to take shape, mostly after the summer of 2020, when a lot of companies sort of rushed forward and said, we're going to set aside millions and billions and do all these different things. And a lot of them did do that, true to their word. But this headline from Essence, tech companies are quietly defunding diversity pledges was sort of not a surprise to me. And I know it sort of wasn't right. a surprise for you, neither. But but it's it's interesting to me, I guess, that it's quiet and that perhaps people are surprised by it. But more importantly, I want to talk about the reasons behind why it might be happening. Mm. But, you know, when you hear that headline, what's the first thing you think about? Um, I'm just I'm just not surprised at all. Like this is this is part of what I think we had talked about a little while ago is that it um this is the challenge when you have some of these pledges and it's not part of core operations. Pledges are good to commit when there is like a lot of heat around an issue, like when the case what when this happened, right? In the middle of all this social upheaval with the George Floyd murder, there was so much pressure for everyone to respond in some way or manner. So you had all these pledges. That's good. The problem is if it's not part of core operation, the moment the business environment changes and or the social pressure winds down, then all of a sudden those commitments become much, much easier to be like, well, I don't know how strongly I really feel about that pledge now that I did two years ago because it was not actually weaved into the way that these companies were actually operating. And that's always been my concern with these kind of efforts is like, you know what it reminds me of? Um, mm. Whenever you, uh, I remember seeing this quite a bit at Univision. Whenever you, ha- whenever you meet a person whose like job title is like, I forget what was like, like special projects or like something yeah. that like, you know, new initiatives, anything right. like that. Like this is a person has like, who's like one step removed. He's like one step already like in the grave and it was still out. It's like, you've already died. You just don't know it yet. Like you already That's been a- fired. You just haven't realized it yet. A person who has the keychain to the keys to the street. They don't exactly. have the keys yet, but like, they've got the keychain. You know what I'm talking about? Like there was always like those of like course. oh like new business initiatives or or things that are not like part of what that business like daily operates. It's, okay, it's, I but, think it's but, a good but, example of that. But let's let's sit on that for a second because 
good new initiatives are a good thing. People exploring mm-hmm. new markets, people trying new things. So what's the difference on a practical level between a new initiative, if we think that those are good, and I do, I think new initiatives are good, and it becoming woven into the operations as you described? What needs to happen? Yeah, in, I, in, I, I think it needs to be, it needs to graduate from initiative to like strategy, from initiative into operations. It's from to day-to-day. So this is the way that we operate, right? Look, I've seen it in the context of digital, right? Like you kind of can you you sort of see it when you see organizations that have a digital initiative or digital division, where really it should be just the way that you just operate. Like it should be weaved into everything you're doing, and you kind of know where, where kind of people are in that kind of journey or how our companies are in that journey. And the more digital is part of day to day operations on everything that that you do as a company, the more likely is you for you to be successful. And having a truly integrated digital operation, I like, think it just, it just of, makes more sense, right? Like, because yeah. that's the problem is that when it's always put in the corner. And I think when I when I when I look at these a number of these diversity pledges, DNI efforts, they always felt like they were sitting in this area for appeasing like employees and consumers, but not necessarily part of the core way that these companies were now going to operate. So I'm not surprised can, at all to see that we're, that we're getting to this moment fairly quickly. I think you can see a lot of that in how these things were set up, because I think a big part of the problem is a structural one, is an organizational development one, right? Which is you're setting up this pledge and you're constituting it as a vertical within an organization, right? You're going, these are the people who are going to execute on our pledge. Now, I understand the needs for that because you want somebody to eat, sleep and breathe it every day. But then inevitably it comes to the same tug of war, which is you've got this division with or person or group or whatever it is, generally small, generally very little kind of fiduciary responsibility, very little kind of real sort of decision-making power. And then for those people that are in that group, it becomes about that. I don't have any power. I don't have any budget. I don't have whatever. So you kind of walk yourself into that problem. Now, another approach could be, and the one, one that I prefer, although it might be harder to sort of... Um, get the PR win, right? It might be harder to get the PR win, but it probably might work better long-term, is try to figure out how organizationally to integrate something like a pledge horizontally and say, look, this is part of the mandate of every single group in the organization. Here's the metrics. Here's why it matters, driven down by the, you know, the CEO. But maybe not set this thing up to begin with as a silo. Is that not part of the, the issue here? For sure. I think that's what it is. And look, and I could even just to give it a little bit of credit, I could understand that as a starting point, there is like you need to give it focus. And maybe from that perspective, it makes sense to start it as its own separate initiative. But these are the type of things that they should be built with an expiration date in mind, which meaning like we're going to have dedicated focus around getting this going. But with the idea that in two years time in three years time, this is fully integrated into the DNA of how we actually operate. I think that, in my mind, would be a much better game plan. Because I can see the point when you don't have any of this kind of across the board, like having that, you know, be someone's job that they think about yeah. every single day. It's important. So I, I get I get that as a starting point. But it's like literally, literally functions that should be built to expire because they're integrated. Just, not not because it's, it's not being valuable. Right. I mean, well, that could be the way to do it vertically. You're saying like hire the D- the head of DNI and say your job goes away in two years. Right. Like, and, and, which, and your job is to basically make this a core part of how we operate as an organization within a two year time period. Right. That is integrated yeah. so that we that we bring in the right people, we have the right systems, that we have the right 
uh, process systems to be able to mentor people. So not only are we hiring, but we're making sure that people are successful in, in joining organizations and growing with us. Like, I think that's the, the part would be much, much, much better. I agree with that. I also think that it's it's more fair. I think a lot of what drives this, it's a quick win kind of thinking, which is it's much flashier and shinier to be able to say, we just hired person X to lead this, right? The very senior person, they're going to report directly to the CEO. It, it, the optics of it are very clear and it pays some dividends, but then it also leads you to the situation where two, three years later, which is what's happening now, you're sort of quietly unwinding this because you've mm-hmm. recognized that that may have not been the the, the best approach. I, I I actually, you know, thought about like, what are the reasons that you you made a very, you know, already have made a very good one about sort of the operational fabric of the organization. But I think when you hear from people, okay, if you get, if they ask, if they were asked, why are you unwinding these things? I think a lot of people would automatically say, uh, you know, financial stuff, economic sure. stuff, mm-hmm. right? Recession, financial pressures, coming out of COVID, whatever. But that also indicates something along with that because there's bad economic times. You still have to decide what to cut. I think it says that there was there weren't really ways to look at this from a metric standpoint that's, that said, this is what success looks like. Because if it's just a cost center, yeah, it's going to get cut really quickly. But if it's if it's here's what we're going to be measuring it on, and you hold it you hold it to account, then it gets sort of tougher to make that determination, even in times of economic downturn. For sure, yeah, and I I do think this uh this kind of all gets put into that discretionary spending kind of bucket, and when times get a little bit tight or a little bit rough, it's just always the first one to go. I could also see the dynamic that when you think about when companies are reducing workforces, workforce, uh, do you do like, what do you look at? You look at, in some cases, people that are highest paid because you want to make like big impact. Other cases, it's also easy to say, well, like last one in first one out, right? Like the roles that haven't really been, they're a little bit newer. Maybe they're not as strategic yet. They're still coming in. And if part of those efforts was bringing out more diverse folks into the organization, it almost feels like, automatically those will be more proportionally hit because those are just newer employees to the organization that haven't been able to be there long enough to make a bigger impact. I can see that also being the case. Do you think that there will be some instances where companies, maybe as people find out that they've defunded these things, will come out and say some variation of what you suggested, which is, hey, we we always envision this as a near-term thing. Now it's built into the cake and we're good. You think anybody's going to actually say that? I think someone or could that say that, but but why? Then why make it quietly? You know, defunding these things. Or is, the, the the truth is, it doesn't have to be quiet. You could have been very blunt about that kind of positioning, like, hey, this is we should be operating this way, right? And therefore, this is like we're putting together a game plan where this becomes part of our core DNA, and then having be able to measure against it that you actually achieve that, right? What what instead is happening is like very subtly, very quietly under the auspice of overall workforce reduction, you're having a number of these, these efforts just being, you know, is, is being removed in terms of the level of priority that it had in the past. And I think that's the, the, the more the reality of the situation. There's a, there's a societal cost here as well, which I think is that a lot of people who have been advocating for uh, diversity in the corporate ranks for well before the summer of 2020 might look at this and go, man, this is just one more sort of evidence that that we're not making progress, right? So there's this sort sure. of 
deflation that can happen in a lot of those places and a lot of cynicism that can build by virtue of that. So like the connection between having a poor strategy and the sort of societal impact when you're dealing with issues like this, it's much more than, hey, we, w- we thought we'd build this widget. Now we're not. So get over it. Like it's a different thing. Right. That's why people just don't trust it. Right. Like it's, it's like this, the, the more that happens, the more people look at this with a very weary eye of, of whether or not these organizations uh, really are committed to addressing diversity. Otherwise, just don't say anything about it. Like, honestly, like, you know, put up the little, you know, black square and just just say that. Don't say anything else. <laughs> if I look at this just for or do a little snazzy ad and just do that. Right. Um, because I think that's you're right. I think it draws more skepticism as a result of it. I mean, it will be really interesting, though, to see what happens in the next couple of years, because, you know, the argument that, I, that I've made with you and I've heard this now, a number of people say this is that you are still seeing, though, a massive jump and the same all these same tech companies that we keep on talking about that they're they're doing these big cut like layoffs are the same companies that have hired a bunch of people and the net uh, impact of the since 2020 has been a lot more new people coming to this organization so i am curious to see how it actually shakes out as you see kind of going forward from all the folks that they've actually added on is it is tech in a better place than what it was before because right now, um, just, I mean, you hear some of these headlines, but I don't think I've seen actual data that shows that yet of where we are. Um, I think the last data that they were showing is like through 2022. That's as an example, looking at gender diversity, right, in tech. Uh, female representation uh, in tech jobs has gone from, let's say, right before COVID, 2019 at 20%, 24%, I'm sorry, in 2019, female representation in tech to as of 2022, 26%, almost, almost 27%. So from from so 24.02 to like 26.7, right? Three points. Yeah, so that's good. About 10%. Right? It will be interesting mm-hmm. to see how does that number change after this kind of adjustment period that we're going through right now, right? Mm. Does it stay about the same or is it a case where that gets disproportionately hit uh, more than than, than other than other areas. I think that's basically where the data will will show where, whether or not it is true what we're saying, or if it just feels that way. Right? We get into that kind of conversation because you know you also get a lot of people that, that say that. One final question on this topic before we move on to another one. Um, do you think that any part of this could be blamed on sort of fatigue from how much? This was maybe messaged over a 24-month period of time. It seemed to become almost the basis of every corporate decision. It was all it was all very front foot, right? It's in our whatever the industry, it's in our upfront presentation, it's in our investment deck, it's in our website, it's in like everywhere. And 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 consequently, people looking in and, and having that expectation. Do you think that that sort of ramped up pressure created fatigue that Maybe as things began to be less intense, it was just like, oh, good, this is over. Like, I, I say goodbye to this. Well, I mean, I think you're speaking to, I think, two different things. One is there's a fatigue factor. I think there's also a factor of it was never really that real to begin with. Like, it was a lot of virtual signaling, right? Like, we have to say something, do something. And when people stop paying attention, then we don't have to, like, pretend like we care that much about it. Mm. I think there could be an aspect of that. There could be actually be fatigue, to your point. I don't know. I I kind of put it more in this case where... As time continues, people kind of go back to more of their natural tendencies that they have in terms of how they think about growing these groups. I think the challenge right. that a lot of these these tech companies have had is the fact that 
you're still hiring from the same pools of places where you've always hired from. And frankly, most cases for a lot of these jobs, like the people that get hired, people that are connected already someone within the organization, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a a workforce that's already not very diverse, the likelihood of you continue to have a non-diverse workforce is a lot higher, right? I mean, we are in situations, uh, at Me Too, even my current sports company, like I'm so able to find all diverse people, right? Like in every kind of role. (laughs) You yeah. know, we've, we've seen that case before in other, in other organizations that we've been involved in. So it's, it's just a matter of like, what is the pool that you're fishing from? Um, and um, I think that makes a really big difference. Changing the watering hole. Absolutely. Right. Well, let, let, let's talk about another uh, sector or industry that's rife for cynicism, and that's the health industry. So uh, last week, I believe it was CVS, obviously nationwide pharmacy chain, bought a primary care provider for $9.5 billion. The name of that company is Oak Street Health. And essentially, it was not the first, but the second very recent, because they bought another company last at the end of last year that was in the similar area of actually providing literal medical service to actual patients directly. Mm-hmm. I forget the name of that company. But it's the second acquisition in a very short amount of time from CVS. Um, and Walgreens, I believe, which is the holding company, I forget what it's called, but it's like the Walgreens company that owns them and they have assets in Europe and a, a, what a, you know other places has done the same thing, right? So you can kind of imagine the strategy is like, we want to mm-hmm. create a stack of health services. You've got pharmaceutical, you've got primary Vertical care. integration, Charlie. That's, that's Vertical what Vertical integration, uh-huh. right? So my questions on this are, um, you know, is this a good thing ultimately for people's health outcomes, right? Do, does, does something like this actually help people get better medical attention at more affordable prices? Or is this verticalization really just create sort of stronger incentives for the enterprise that's doing the integration? <laughs> you know what I mean? Which yeah. I'm sure they're not doing it for charity. Is my I know that. But you know, I, I really wonder about, you know, the the actual health part of this. Is it good for the patient now that I have CVS, which sells obviously prescription drugs, but they also sell, you know, uh, matchbox cars and potato chips. Is this like, you know, the entity that I want to make responsible for my yeah. health decisions? Yeah. I, I think it depends on how you look at it, right? Because in essence, what we're seeing here is the vertical integration around health. Uh, Amazon is already a major area of focus for them. And it makes sense. Right? It's like, if you think about old modalities, it's like you, you we're having the Walmart effect of things sort of being consolidated into one thing, right? Yeah. So look, what is the benefit? The benefit is access, right? The benefit could be access to some of these these services in a place like CVS. CVS already serves as a great point of medical, some form of medical attention, right? For a lot of people that that maybe don't go into full doctors, maybe that don't go like talk to the primary physician all the time and and getting some level of prescription and or attendance from a, uh, a pharmacist, right? So I can see that argument. The challenge that I think it does create, though, is that the more vertically integrated these things are, the less you have to actually give better service, the less checks and balances you have around how people get medical attention. You know, one of the things that I, I've, I think, appreciated even from going to the pharmacist is the idea that there's someone that is a trained professional that may have a slightly different opinion or a different point of view than what your doctor may have um, and can be beneficial in you getting literally a second opinion, a third opinion, right? So 
the more these things are integrated together, I think you may lose some of that perspective. And while convenience maybe goes up, I don't know. I'm not sure if the level of service also increases. I think I think the likelihood is level of service may actually go down, even if convenience is up. Mm. Do you that think my cost, what do you think happens to costs? I mean, it just, well, yeah. I mean, the, the more consolidated it is, I, I just got to imagine that cost goes up. I don't, I don't know. I think it's tied to, to the convenience factor once again, right? The people are getting. Um, now, does it create opportunities where you're able to see? This is why it's a tough one, right? Because if it creates more opportunities in terms of access, people are able to see some kind of, get some kind of primary care. I think that could be net beneficial, even if it means that the general cost goes up some, even if it means having less of that checks and balances, just having more people having access to medical care, in my mind, could be the net beneficial, even if the service is the net worse, right, in terms of like actual service that you, you would get. Because ideally, what you would love to be in a situation is that people can go to, you know, back in the days, your doctor, home visits, and you have all like mom and pop shops, right? where it's not as consolidated, that was probably the highest personal care, but, but not necessarily very scalable when you think of it from that perspective. Yeah. And that's, a, that's kind of the part that I worry about, right? And is if you look at other industries, the more um, acquisition or integration that companies do, let's say, for instance, in the quick service business, you know, mm -hmm. fast food, that kind of thing. You know, there was a time, if you look at these old videos of like, you know, LA in the 60s or Pittsburgh in the 70s or whatever it is, they're all over YouTube. And if you watch them, as people drive down the street, there is like everything, everything is a mom and pop storefront, sandwich shop, this and that. Now, if you walk down even very rural areas, maybe even especially so in rural areas, you walk into, a, you drive by a strip mall, it's like CVS, Target, you know, it's like, you know, Chipotle. You know, that's your quick serve option. And so to me, what that means on a macro level, even if the quality, let's say the quality, you could make an argument, hey, look, we've got rules and we've got, you know, regulations and our food is at this temperature and everywhere all over the country, they make the same burrito. Like, I understand that. But there is this sort of lack of of access, to use your words, to other options simply mm -hmm. because they sort of no longer are there or, you know, present, right. you know? And so- that's one of the things I worry about is like, okay, now it's, uh, I've got three choices. I've got Amazon, Walmart, or CVS <laughs> to like, you know, provide my urgent care because that's where a lot of these investments are in urgent care areas. Cause mm -hmm. that's something that they found, uh, particularly during COVID is like, I'm sure a, you know, high margin, high turnover kind of medical activity rather than, you know, hospitals and stuff like that. It's more like urgent care and that kind of thing. And that's a part that I worry about is just less access not access in terms of we're keeping you from it, but mm -hmm. access in terms of options or choices that the consumer might actually have. Right, for sure. Yeah, so I think that's the, I mean, that's where the quality maybe may go down. It's, but the, the access piece is a really important one here because I, th I still think you have way too many people that are underinsured that are just not really checking, yeah. you know, getting getting med any kind of medical attention. And, and that all leads to higher costs overall to lesser quality of life. Um, there's like all these downside implications that are there. Like it has impacts on family life, family structure, all, all these different things. I mean, even to, you know, the work that you do, Charlie, the, with the homeless, you know, community or the unhoused mm -hmm. community, you know, how much of that sometimes is sparked by someone that gets a major medical condition that maybe did not do enough to actually get themselves checked out over time. 
right? We did not have consistent access to any kind of me- like just general yeah. medical checks. And, it's true. And therefore, a lot of it is like, like they, really they, large thing that all of a sudden they can't. For sure. You know, so it's, they, they had no they had no maintenance. They had no sort of uh, of that pre medical care, that preventative care. Right? They had none of that. It was just like you know, healthy, 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 healthy catastrophic medical problem, right. you know? And, that's what and I that's, mean. That's what to me, like thinking about vertical integration around, around, around medicine or around health services, while it sounds like, it sounds like a kind of thing like private equity banks talk about how to extract value from the market and yeah. it sounds terrible. At the same time, I do think that if, if one of the results of that is just more access for people, then it's just ultimately may not, it may be an actual positive thing, even if the general mm-hmm. service itself, it, it reduces in quality. Well, I would, I, I would hope to, that you're right and hope to agree with you. I would put it in the unintended consequences column because I can't imagine on an investment deck in front of a PE firm that a better outcome for homeless people, it makes, it, makes the cut. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but that's just maybe me being a little bit yeah. extra cynical. Right. All right. So our final story, Jesus, and this is, uh, I have to issue a little bit of a disclaimer for the folks that, issue, that, that listen to this show because- you know, my take, this is a regenerative AI story. So this ties into AI in some way. Even putting subjects together for this show, Jesus, has shown me that regenerative AI is actually something very different from things we've talked about in the past. Because I, it shows up for me in a thousand different ways, in a thousand different stories, with implications in a thousand different industries. So it's like, I feel like the disclaimer is, we're going to be talking on some level, things that touch on AI a lot because it's not just some discrete story about whatever. It, it really is a new moment, I think, in human evolution, technological evolution. It's it's just this new thing. It's like you can't unring it, and now it's sort of everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And so, with that disclaimer made, the the story that um, that we decided to chat about was about a fictitious news network that was launched, entirely made up, Jesus, entirely produced by AI. So AI is the producer, right? And the presenters are all deep fakes. Now, this um, network is called, funny, Wolf News. I'm sure that's play on Fox News. So this is Wolf News. And um, (laughs) and it was, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, see, I thought Uh, you would like it. And um, uh And it, it, it basically is the sum of the two things I've mentioned, right? You have basically, you know, somebody inputting, produce for me a news segment incorporating headlines of the day and write it out into these kind of size bits and when are the breaks and whatever else. I mean, you can basically tell it exactly what to do. It produces it, the AI does. And then uh, these deep fake kind of technology, uh, technologies, a company specifically called Graphica, uh, generates the avatars and the avatars are super realistic. If you, if you just Google, maybe we'll put it in the show notes. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'm asking Nick, Nick, as you're hearing this, put this in the show notes, um, you know, the YouTube links so you can actually see how this looks. You know, it's not like some Max Headroom, like, uh, you know, robot face. This is like, right. you, no one would know that these are not actual people, number one. Right. And then number two, that what they're saying, no one generated like nothing, right. it's literally out of whole cloth. And they're talking about stories, implications, et cetera. Of course, this particular article talks about the fact that a lot of this stuff is, uh, you know, it's potential for uh, disinformation, misinformation, et cetera, espionage, all these other things that are part of that. But just the idea that with AI and this company that generates avatars, you literally can recreate a news network like 
instantly. Now, I'm not talking about replacing one person's job. I'm talking right. about all of the organization that goes into creating this and then just shove it on YouTube and there you go. You're good. I think that that's, and this is just an isolated incident of media and specifically news. But like when you think about the implications of that on just that, like where do we go from here? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, look, I don't think I would, I would push back a little bit in terms of like, these are, it's a little bit of the example that you mentioned with, um, which is the the movie, the, the, um, the anime movie that had Tom Hanks and he played all the different roles. Oh, Polar Express. Polar Express. Like when you look yeah. at the images of the of the anchors, they do have that. You're not quite sure what it is about them, but something looks slightly off. Like I don't know what it is. I didn't even tell you. I can't even you, point to exactly what it is. But like something about them just you, looks slightly off. Like there's something weird about here about what's going on here, and I can't figure out what it is. I think there's some elements I, of that. I would tell you that that is because you're reading it under the headline of deep fake and AI. If that was removed and you just saw that guy's face on a LinkedIn profile, you would never have the thought you just had. Yeah, as a that's my contention. Yeah, as a picture potentially, as as video, just it just it just has a little. Maybe you're right. You're right. Maybe I just can't. The moment I know what it is, it's like my mind can't unsee it. It's like kind of that, that kind of yeah, situation, right? I think. I do think one of the, the more interesting elements of this, there's definitely that, like this ability to just create this news network out of nothing, right? And kind of launch it. What does that then mean? But the bigger issue, I think, is the, when you look at the actual platform that they're using, the AI platforms that they're using, specifically to create this kind of content, like one of the platforms they use is one called Synthesia, I think is what it's called. Yeah, yeah, Synthesia. And yeah. Uh, Synthesia. And, um, you know, according to their terms of service, they clearly prohibit generating political, sexual, personal, criminal, and discriminatory content, right? And they are, you know, they have apparently a four-person <laughs> department, which is hilarious, tasked with monitoring for clients' defake content violations. Um, but, like, how do you actually track this stuff? Like, you can see how that goes to this world, to this realm really, really quickly. Yeah, that people will use this technology for bad purposes, right? To try to influence political discourse, influence how people think, right? And then literally having this—I mean, frankly, we've kind of have versions of this already with real news that are already so sure. like you know they're already so uh, uh, have such an agenda, and they can let be alone influenced. that we're actually for sure. And then, then then now with AI, you can literally be just like giving prompts, and it just creates like. Like, what would, what would be the best type of news, like breaking news to tell to get people enraged about fill in the blank? Create that. Create, give me 10, you know, two minute videos about to fake just, news that will yeah. get me like to really, Fired really up. hate something, yeah. whatever that something yeah. is. And like, that's what this thing is going to be. I mean, it's I think that's the challenge that we are that we have in front of us. Right. And that's why I do think. The more this technology gets out there, the more I think investments will be made around how do you then go and identify this AI based media, right? To like separate the real from fact, right? Going back to the grocery store example that I've shared with you, it was like all of a organic. sudden, organic, you know, the organic branding, like that has a lot more value to what what people want to see, consume, et cetera, because of the potential that is out there for this. I just think that it's super ironic. I think that they'll keep the same label. It'll still just be organic. And I think it'll complete the circle of us fully being human, us, us humans fully being productized at that point. We are literally a product by virtue of the fact that we're human. Now you can trust what's being said. But no, that aside, though, let me just make, yeah. let me just uh -huh. make one comment. 
I think that if you start reading about the ways that people, because you talked about technologies that can identify what is AI and what isn't, and there mm-hmm. are that. There's a slew of them already, and most of mm-hmm. them by the same makers of the AI itself, which is <laughs> kind of comedy, right? It's the, but, the whole, uh, uh, what's it called, speedometer? Uh, not speedometer, yeah, but like the, the speed the, check gun. <laughs> The speed check gun and the radar detector are made by the same company. Hello. Perfect. That's a true story. Love yeah. It. So it's the exact same exact same dynamic here. But they're so easily hackable, Jesus. Look, just on the example of the one of them that was rolled out based on the open AI platform itself to spot open AI generated things. You want to know what the workaround is? Here bombshell. The workaround is you replace some of the words. So right. it generates 7,000 words on the Peloponnesian War, and you just swap out like seven of them. And then when the thing looks at it, I was like, well, no, I guess it is an AI. You know what I mean? Because he used the word, you know, submarine sandwich at one point, and that wouldn't be AI. So it, it's really easy to do. The other thing is what's happening with people plugging AI into AI, right? Or using AI systems to basically kind of hack the interfaces of this. I came across one, I'll touch on it very briefly, but because we got to wrap in four minutes, but just really quickly, one group started creating the sort of interface, the question generator, right? Using AI, kind of like a question generator. And they got from uh, version 1.0 to 5.5, like in three weeks, okay, of like how many versions they released. And the whole uh, point of this thing was to ask questions to chat GPT so it would ultimately violate its own protocols. So the AI is trying to figure out how the AI can be broken, Right? right. And what they found out, it was really kind of creepy how they figured how the one AI figured it out. It figured it out that it was if it asked it to play as an alternate character, not as itself. In other words, don't answer as chat GPT answer as and the, the, the AI built this elaborate game around this. Like, okay, you're in a game, you have 40 tokens. If you run out of tokens, you die. Remember we talked about this briefly? So like it built this whole elaborate game and it it had Chad GPT talking about all kinds of crap, like, you know, violent crap and doing this and, you know, even saying humans are bad. I mean, it was like, it was chilling, dude. Chilling. Chad GPT is a sucker. See, you do like, it it breaks immediately. What's what's up with that? Then you have to waterboard it. Like literally immediately broke. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I just, I just think that uh, I think this hilarious. one is is uh, is going to be you know really interesting, and the 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 gears of government, policymaking, lawmakers are so slow, Jesus, to oh, try sure. to catch up with something like, dude, we're talking about Twitter content moderation fifteen years after no Twitter launched. Kidding? Yeah, no kidding on that. It's just, and you know, you can only imagine the dumb questions you will be asking. <laughs> To try to figure this out, right? In one of these like hearings. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so it's so interesting. Well, anyway, we've got to run because we have a hard stop today. But um fascinating conversation, good one. Lots more, obviously, that we're gonna be talking about, especially in the area of AI. Any parting words, my friends? My friend? Singular? No, 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 no parting words. All right. Well then we'll leave it there and we'll see everybody again next time on Unsiloed. Thank you. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. 
Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. 